It's obvious from history. Many believers have given up their lives because of their faith in Christ. You and I don't know what that is, do we? Has anybody ever been severely persecuted because of their faith in Christ? The closest I ever came, believe it or not, was from a doctor. A friend of mine in college, his, his fiance was a nurse. And uh, he couldn't go pick her up from work without an escort. So guess who the escort was? So I went with him. And while we were waiting for her shift to be done and she getting ready to leave, we got to talking about a doctor. And he got to talk about what we were training for. Well, we're training for the ministry. Pastors. And that led us into sharing the plan of salvation with him. He said, well, I don't believe anything unless I can read it for myself. I said, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I said, you got a Gideon Bible around here somewhere? And right underneath the counter where we were, there was a Gideon Bible. So I had him open to Romans chapter 3 and read some verses from Romans chapter 3 that talks about us being sinners for all has sinned. And when he got done reading that passage, he looked at me and says, you're trying to tell me I'm a sinner. I said, no, sir. That's what the Bible's telling you. That's what God's telling you. You try to tell me that again, I'll punch you in the face. So I took one step back to make sure I was out of arm's reach. <laughs> but praise God, he got the point. Now, I don't know what ever happened. That was the only time I had to talk with him. That's the closest I've ever come to any kind of violence because I shared the gospel with somebody. Yet we got brothers and sisters all across this globe today that are in persecution and dying for their faith. And I believe because of their persecution, because of their dying, more people are getting saved. I really believe the only thing that's going to save America is we as Christians got to be put under persecution. I believe that's the only hope we have. Because as long as things are comfortable, we will not turn to God. It's as simple as that. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. I think it was a modern day translation saying, The devil is about to throw you under the bus. That you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Folks, we can expect attacks by Satan to come. And this is Christ addressing the Smyrna church. Churches that preach the gospel and teach the gospel are going to find resistance to what they preach and teach and preach. So what we learn from this, even though there's persecution coming from Satan, God has ordained it and he says, don't fear. What's the first thing we do when we get into persecution? We fear. Why? Because we don't know the outcome. It's really comforting when the doctor tells you, isn't it? You're going to have surgery, and this is what you can expect. You can handle the pain that's going to come, and you can handle those things just a little bit better, can't you? When you know 
But God does not do that for us sometimes. The suffering comes. We don't understand it. We don't know the outcome and we get fearful. And the suffering that we've been going through at this point, the only thing that's kept me from going into a big panic is Almighty God is still in control. I don't have to understand. When, wouldn't it be nice if God was going to plan some suffering for us and, and said, now John, sit down with me and, and you need some suffering, so let's plan what we're going to work, what's going to work for you. God doesn't do that, does he? And we would argue strong and hard to avoid severe persecution and suffering, wouldn't we? Our God is our coach. He knows what we need best, and He will never give us more than we can handle. So when we look at our suffering that we're going through, in a sense, there should be a sense of encouragement. As big as this is, God knows we're spiritually able to handle it. Otherwise, He wouldn't give it to us. So through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the potential for physical healing is possible. That seems like out of order, but it's not. Isaiah 53.5. Again, for our guests, we've had several here that have been battling cancer for the last several years. We're not a large congregation, but we've had... 8 to 10 that have been battling cancer for the last 3 or 4 years and Joyce is hopefully done with her chemo at this point. We'll know a little more this week, right? From your scan. And I shared with you already, Glenn was, a, was amazing what God's done there. He shared his testimony with us last week. I wish it was here because I haven't shared it again just for your sake. But uh, um, God did a great wonder in his life. Now some have not I thought something didn't look right. Things got out of order. Thank you. I appreciate that. Here we got it. I got it. Thank you. My pages didn't get numbered and they got out of order, so thank you. And I don't want you to get lost. But, uh, all right. We're still in Revelation 2.10. B. We must be faithful to what God has as, as we face death. Um, and again... Um, it was a privilege to have a funeral here, you know, for Janet's mom. What a celebration to know that a believer is on their way to glory and where they're at. But in this context, in Revelation, it's martyrdom. And again, we don't look forward to that. I don't look forward to that. But should God send it, we need to be willing to say, okay, God, your will be done. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32.9. 3239. Deuteronomy 3239. Now see that I, even I, am He. There is no God besides me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. Seems cruel and vicious, doesn't it? I kill. But even in death, no matter what that death is, in fact, I think I shared with you some time back, but I'm going to repeat it again because I think it needs to be repeated. 
A pastor was talking to a Chinese pastor that had escaped China. And they were talking about the persecution that's going on in China. And it, it's more severe than we even see. Because Fox News isn't going to put it on there. CNN's not going to put it on there. But you know what this Chinese pastor asked the pastors of this country to quit doing? Quit praying that the persecution in China stop. You know what we're praying for in America? We're praying that persecution for Christians will start. The persecution among the Christians is making Christianity thrive in China. For everyone they kill, ten get saved. It seems odd to us, isn't it, that God would use that sort of thing to further the kingdom of God. But that's what's happening today. Hebrews 9.27 Death is not something that we need to fear. And it is a point that a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. It simply means this. God knows the exact moment when you and I are going to breathe our last breath. And there's nothing you and I can do to stop it. And I believe if we have a real clear vision and, and truth of God's word, why would we want to stop it? What on this earth could be so important that we want to hang around to get done before we go to glory? You know, those that get left behind don't care for it much because you're going to be missed. Hopefully you will be anyways. <laughs> but really, compared to eternity, how long can that span be? 20, 30, 40 years? What's that compared to eternity? It's nothing. And what can we accomplish here? If God says your job is done, it's time to come home, accept it and go. Enjoy it. We're all going to get there soon enough. So why do we see death negatively? Well, for the unsaved, existence after death is uncertain. They don't know what the Scriptures teach. Now, I ultimately believe from... Romans chapter 1 and a couple of other passages. I believe deep down in every other day unsaved individual knows for sure where they're going. They just don't want to recognize that. And I unfortunately see men on their deathbeds screaming out in pain. I'm dying, I'm dying. And one said, I'm going to hell. And his wife said, honey, you don't have to. The pastor's been talking to you for weeks. I've been talking to you for months about putting your faith and trust in Christ. I cannot understand why an individual in that condition would still say, I don't want it. It just, I can't understand it. It is final for them. Now some want to believe, and it's a growing thing in America, reincarnation. That just eases the pain of death. But it doesn't change the fact that they know it's not real. It is real damnation. They haven't had all the fun they wanted to yet, so they don't want to die. The scripture says the philosophy of the world is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. For the saved, it too can be uncertain if we're not confident of what's coming ahead. 
Now we spent, I don't know, four or five months, maybe six months, just studying heaven. What an awesome study. (laughs) What hope do we have? It's awesome. It's beyond our comprehension. I think our study for six months was just scratching the surface of what it's really going to be like. I know one thing. When I breathe my last breath and you breathe your last, last breath, for the first time in all of our existence, you and I will be without a sin nature. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Vicky's back there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, Vicky. <laughs> I am my own worst enemy. I am sick of my sin nature. I want complete control over it, and I don't get it. But I'll be free of it. I'll be free from this sin-cursed world. I'll be in the presence of our, my Savior for all of eternity. If we did just sit up there and play heart for all of eternity, that would be better than what the alternative is. But I know there's something better than that <laughs> from our study. We're not thinking about eternity as we should. We're thinking about what we can get here and what we can hang on to here. And we as Christians get caught up in that. How important are your possessions to you? If you drove home today and your house was burned down and everything was gone, how would you react? Would that be a tremendous sorrow? Would be, oh, so what? (laughs) I get to start over. I'm not taking it with me anyways. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're not clearly seeing death as a result from our sin. Not that we're dying because of our sin, but because of the sin cursed. Sin curse that's on this world. Let's turn to James chapter 4. If you're in Hebrews, just a couple over, a couple pages over, you'll find James chapter 4, 13 through 16. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, I will go into such a, in such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, is it wrong to make money? No. But what is the purpose of our raising money? Is our raising money to get all the conveniences and, and, and all the luxuries and the pleasures that we want? Solomon had that. How did it work for him? He wrote a book of Ecclesiastes about that whole situation. He said, I had everything. There was nothing I could not do and there was nothing I did not do. And what was his reply? It was all empty vanity. So why does God allow us to make money? Well, obviously we have living expenses. (laughs) But the money that God gives us is used to further His kingdom. And that is how it is to be used. I thank God for men and women. And I've shared with you uh, Mr. Letourneau who um, started Caterpillar. He started making earth movers. He said, God, if you'll prosper my business, I will live on 10% and give you 90%. 
And he's been doing it ever since. Because he was using his money to further the kingdom of God. It was not about him. He does not have a Cadillac. He does not use Cadillacs. In fact, his son went to college, and when he went to college, he bought himself a brand new Chevy Corvette. He wanted to impress the students, man, look at my car. And said, son, you don't need that car. I want you to sell it and go buy yourself a little used Chevy of some sort to go to college with. That's all you need. That was dad's perspective. Son didn't have it right, but dad was trying to steer him in the right direction. If the Lord wills, your life is so short as a mist. God makes the final call, not Satan. You cannot, and I cannot die before our time. Back to Job chapter 2. Verse 6. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. In light of what's been going on here, God has done the same. He is in your hands, but you cannot do only just so much. God uses Satan to end people's lives. Even in this, Job didn't die, but how many of his servants did? And I don't think this was just a handful of servants. This man had, well, we have a list there, Job, of how many, uh, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, would be a 500 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. How many people do you think it took to take care of all that? Probably several hundred. And in a matter of minutes, God did not spare their lives, did he? He allowed all these individuals, plus his his daughters and sons, seven sons, three daughters, ten children. God allowed all these people's lives to die. For what? Doesn't make sense to us, does it? Well, we see what Job did. We'll see here in a moment. But God allowed this to happen to further His image among people. And to, again, Job, look at verse 20. He tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell on the ground and worshipped. Now what was he worshipping? His children? His sheep? His camels? His possessions? He lost everything except for his wife and some friends. And we'll see later, he also had some brothers and sisters that rallied around him eventually. (laughs) He worshipped God. Once again, if we went home today and found everything burned to the ground, would we get out of our car, get on our knees and say, God, I worship you. Would that be the first thought that comes to our mind? So why did this happen? 
to Job? Because it's, a, it's teaching us that's where we need to be. Now, I don't know what I would do, but I would hope and pray that I would do the same thing Job did. I would fall on my knees for Almighty God say, God, thank you for letting me enjoy those things for time. You took them away. It's okay with me. Wasn't going to take it with me anyways. Look at the very last chapter of Job. He gives him ten more children and doubles all of his possessions because of his faithfulness. I wonder if Satan fully understands exactly how much God is using him. He might be disappointed. (laughs) He's being used by God. Well, God is sovereign over Satan's use of natural disasters. In Job chapter 1 that we looked at that Dave read for us, there were two natural disasters that were used to kill. The fire, perhaps lightning. Number two, a wind, probably a tornado. We know what tornadoes can do, can't we? We've seen them in our nation. They're devastating. I've never been, anybody ever been through a tornado? I've never been through one. I've just seen the pictures of what's happened. Two natural disasters that God allowed Satan to use to accomplish his means. God gave him permission. Verse 12 that we read. But Job was steadfast. Let's turn to James chapter 5 because James mentions it. James chapter 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. I think you need to underline that word perseverance. Very hard to persevere when we're in deep, dark trouble, isn't it? I think of Joyce and, and, and uh, um, some of the others that have gone through the long chemo, and, 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 and especially um, Glenn, that all that Glenn went through, both radiation and horrible, horrible chemo for, what, six months? Seemed like forever, didn't it, Mary? but persevere and then to have him stand up here and give a testimony I thank God for the cancer I thank God for what I went through and do we see any difference in Glenn's perspective on life now is that just for Glenn why did God put Glenn among us here at Galilean Baptist Church Why did Glenn get up here and share that testimony? Because it's to stir us to look at things through Glenn's eyes as well from his personal experience. It's not easy. Ron knows that too for you've had at least two radiation treatments that were not pleasant. Some mothers have had surgeries and Karen's gone through it. How many have gone through the sickness thing? It's not all about sickness. Sometimes it comes in other ways, as we well know. But James made note of it. If nothing else, well, let's look at the rest of the chapter there. He heard the, you have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by who? 
by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. When you're going through those trials, do you really feel the compassionateness of God? (laughs) Do you really sense the mercy of God while you're going through it? No, I'm sure when Job first hit with all this, because what did he do? He tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. It was traumatic. And we're going to develop this a little bit more later, but folks, I, I just want to add this here so we understand this. God expects our suffering to hurt. God expects our suffering to hurt. It's not easy to swallow, is it? Because we don't want hurt. We get tired of it. It wears us down. In some cases, we can't sleep. We can't eat. Sometimes we lay at night because of our sickness and what's going on around, and we can't even sleep. But that hurt is to drive us to the feet of our Savior. And if we keep going back there and keep going back there, we will find and discover Him in ways that we could never, ever understand without that suffering. It will develop a more intimate relationship with Him. And remember, that's what life is all about. From the day we make that profession of faith, it is now all about developing an intimate relationship with Him here and now. And we can say, well, why doesn't God wait till we get to heaven? It's going to be easier. I don't completely understand, to be honest with you. That does seem like the easy way out, but that's what I just said. That's the easy way out. I like easy. Anybody else like easy? But God wants us to have an intimate relationship with Him. And it will not come out of good times. It will be mediocre. In fact, some of you have been married for some time. You've been through some difficult times with your spouse. And why do you appreciate them so much? Because they persevered with you. When you are on your worst day, they can still look you in the face and say, Honey, I love you. And you wonder, how can you do that? God does that every day. He perseveres with us. We need to persevere with Him. Job was steadfast and God's purpose was fulfilled. Because he knew God was sovereign, he humbled himself and deserved nothing from God. And he worshipped. While you're going through trouble, do you have trouble worshipping? In fact, i got to look at it this way. When I'm having trouble worshipping God in the middle of my trial, you know who I'm worshipping? I'm worshiping me. My comfort zone is not has been greatly rattled. Again, I am my own worst enemy. Let's turn to Job thirty seven. Verse thirteen. 
Job 37, verse 13. He caused it to come, whether for correction. Job did some soul searching, didn't he? Because he was accused of doing some things wrong, and that's why these things came about. So he had to. And when suffering comes, we need to do that. God, is my sin caused this suffering? Is there some sin that I've done that's brought this? Am I suffering the consequences? That better be the first thing we do. But Job did that. And he said, I find no sin and God has revealed no sin to me. So he goes on to say, he caused it to come with it for correction, but for his land and for his mercy. Now, I'm not sure exactly what he means by for his land, unless he's referring to the building of his kingdom. God has a very specific plan that he wants to get accomplished. And Job knew that. And he accepted that. And you and I need to do the same. Christ himself uses natural disasters for suffering. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. We don't need to look at all these because I'm sure you remember many of these occasions. Matthew 8, 23. Sometimes I wonder what through, went through Christ's mind. He's all God. He's all man. He knew these things were coming. What was going through his head when he was... Now he went into a boat, verse 23. His disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Um, he must have been exhausted. How many of you have ever been on a ship that's tossing and... And you were probably tossing your cookies with it, you know? <laughs> right? He's sleeping. When he got on that boat, did he know this storm was coming? He sure did. Now, why did he man, there's a storm coming, let's wait an hour and that storm will pass. I had the privilege of going to Israel and they took us out in the Sea of Galilee. And they said indeed that storms can come out of nowhere. And so we were out there, and we had a nice nice trip out there across the sea. And, and in fact, we stopped out in the middle, and a, and a pastor shared a devotional that was just, maybe it was just a setting, but it was an awesome devotional. We got in, we worked there five minutes, sat down for dinner, and this storm came out of nowhere. We were glad we were in on shore, because it was a nasty storm. And as that storm was there, I was reflecting on this passage. He knew that storm was coming. He didn't shelter him from it. How many other places were there similar things that took place and Christ deliberately did not shelter his disciples from the storm? In fact, when it came to his own crucifixion, did he know that storm was coming? Did he know that suffering was coming among the disciples? Sure he did. He even warned them about it. But he didn't stop it. Because it was necessary for the disciples to go through that suffering. And as a result of it, 11 out of the 12 disciples were willing to die because of their faith in who he was. And John would have too. It just wasn't God's plan for him to die by martyrdom. He's the only one that died of old age. But the others willingly died 
because they knew that this Christ that they saw was real and he's worth dying for he knew what would happen and happened in order to reveal who he is because what, what happened in those storms can you imagine I don't often wonder this he said he walked on the water have you ever seen water when it's turbulent how did he walk on those waves <laughs> you know what I mean that must have been a hard walk for him if he's walking on the water. But he walked across the water and every time he calmed the sea, who is this that can calm the sea and calm the wind? What was the purpose of it? So mankind would see who he is. He is Almighty God. Would they ever come to that conclusion if he didn't do those things due to suffering? Another one. A woman was suffering for 12 years with the issue of blood and in that passage it says she suffered that issue of blood because Satan inflicted upon her other passages that where people were healed says Satan inflicted those upon them he healed them why? because the people needed to see a distinct difference between the God of this world and the God of creation and they would never gotten the magnitude of the picture if there was not suffering involved so God is Sovereign over sickness. God granted Satan permission, as we saw. Romans 8, 22 states that sickness is this world's part of the sin curse. And that passage, if you want to look at it, for the woman with an 18-year physical problem, is Luke 13. Through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection... The potential for physical healing is possible. Isaiah 53, 5. Some misabuse that passage. They think God can heal every sickness. And if you don't, you don't have enough faith. Folks, that's not what that scripture says. Now, when we get into these situations, even physically, what do we do? James chapter 5. Thirteen through sixteen. Come now, you say today or tomorrow. Um, let's see. Let's skip some of that. Um, verse, chapter five, verse thirteen is the one I want to look at. If any among you suffering, let him do what? Pray. When we are suffering, we better be spending a whole lot more time in prayer. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing a psalm. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick and it will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I believe in this passage, the sickness that's brought on is because of the consequence of sin. And due to the confession of sin and stopping that sin, those consequences can reverse themselves and through the counting of the elders and through the prayer of the elders confession in verse 16 confess your trespasses to one another pray one for another that you may be healed the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much but we must when we can see already from the scripture we looked at we can ask God to take this suffering away from us but it may not be his will to remove it so what do we do with that? God, 
Whatever it is you're trying to teach me, help me not to miss it. Help me to do what you would have me to do for the glory of your name. Through my suffering, may I touch somebody else's life. In fact, um, I don't remember if it's this, I don't think it's this message, but another one coming up. There is a passage that says that sometimes he allows us to go through suffering so we can help somebody who's going through the same suffering. We can empathize better. And we know, because we've already worked through it. We already know what the scriptures say and how we're to handle this. And we need to walk them, walk with them through it. Come alongside. That's what the word fellowship means. We come alongside. I'm going to help you get through this. I've been there. And we can cry together. And we can rejoice together. If we had no suffering in life, how serious would we consider sin to be? Ultimately, isn't suffering ultimately isn't suffering the result of the sin curse? And the answer is yes. We are meant to examine and ask why. In fact, Pat and I were talking about that this morning. Or some people say we don't ever question God. Well, then Job sinned in his response to God because he did ask him why. And we can't take time to study the whole book. But you know what God's answer was? I'm sovereign. And he never gave me an answer why. He he said, trust me. And Pat was being an encouragement this week by reminding us that in the puzzle of life, we don't see the whole picture because we're just a small piece of the puzzle. God sees the whole picture. And we don't have to. We're building his kingdom through the suffering that he permits into our lives for a particular reason. We again are reminded from Job chapter 2, Satan is not sovereign in our sicknesses. He is used of God. Did my sin cause this suffering? We have to ask that question. Then this is the next big question we have to ask. Where is God in this? We have to ask ourselves, where is God in this? We may not fully understand what God wants us to do. We're going to develop this a bit more later. But there are other questions that we need to ask in regard to that so we can keep our focus on Him. How can this be used to develop my relationship with Him? How can this be used to influence someone else in their relationship with God? It should become a rally of consolement. In fact, let's turn to Job 42 because I want you to see this. Job 42. Job's suffering was not isolated to him alone. His wife, I can't imagine how much she suffered with him. The loss of ten children would have been horrible for any mother. Job 42.11 says, Then all his brothers and his sisters 
and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him, ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver, each a ring of gold. Why were they able to come together as a body like this and and, and console him? I don't think it was so much that they were consoling Job. Job was able to console them. Almighty God was behind this. I don't understand it, but he was. I give God the glory for it. These individuals, I believe, got that. We find no one here accusing them. No, I don't agree, Job. There must have been some horrible sin. They didn't understand because Job didn't. How could Job sit down and explain to them? God told me this is why the suffering came. He didn't do that. He couldn't do that because he didn't know. He just knew the most important thing in his life and his existence on earth was his relationship with God. And losing his children and losing all of his possessions, nothing was going to deter him from that. And you and I have to do the same thing. No one likes to be sick or suffering. And there is a large variety of suffering that inflicts us. Some suffering is a direct result of our personal sin. We have no one to blame but ourselves. We confess it. We repent of it. Sometimes we're fortunate the consequences of that sin will go away. Other times there are scars that will last the rest of eternity. Well, no, it won't last for all eternity, will it? When we get to glory, those scars are going to be gone. <laughs> the only scars we're going to see in heaven are the ones that are in his hands, the ones on his head, the ones in his side, the ones in his feet. Those are his scars, and those are not going to be scars like we think of scars. They're going to be beauty marks, aren't they? So God uses it to encourage us to move closer to him. Some are, as with Job, just a means of God using suffering to accomplish his will and us personally when, and those around us. Because of Job's testimony and his perseverance and keeping his eyes on Christ, other lives were touched. And that's where we are at. We are not in a vacuum as Christians. God is using us to inflict or to impress other people with who Christ is. Some of the things that we considered to be so important I believe when we get to heaven we're going to find out weren't important at all so we have to do some very serious examination of our lives when when those things come we need to understand that there are no coincidences with God God's timing is always perfect a lot of what's been going on, is it any wonder that all this came up as we begin to preach a series on suffering and the sovereignty of God? Do you think that's a mistake? Six months ago when I began preparing those messages, had no idea. But God did. To me, that's an awesome thing to fathom. So we need to examine our suffering in light of who Christ is. And if it's a big one that comes into our lives, when you say, thank you, God, that you consider me worthy of enduring the suffering for your glory. 
And again, for myself, I don't see it, but he apparently does. If it's big, 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 big in our lives, and he won't test us beyond what we're capable, then God must believe that my relationship with him is strong enough that we can do endure this together. And that my relationship with him is where it is growing and going to continue to grow. This is his effort to challenge us in what is really important. And it's not what's going on here. It's what's coming in eternity. So as hard as it may be, I challenge God's word challenges us again. When suffering comes, and it will. Some of you young people, such as William and maybe even Jared, he's getting up there, he's a college student now, but maybe you've not endured a lot of suffering yet. Let me assure you, you will. It's inevitable. Now, is everybody going to suffer at the same level? Nope. There's no rhyme or reason to that either, is there? That too is in the sovereignty of God. I don't understand it. I don't try to explain it. Because it really doesn't matter. But whatever suffering He brings into your life, look at it as spiritual calisthenics. He's stretching you to draw closer to Him to be used in a way that he wants to use you that you cannot be used in any other way. As hard as it is, we have to say, God, thank you for the suffering. I don't understand. But I thank you because I know you have a plan. And help me, God, because of my love for you. To fulfill the plan that you have in this suffering. Because I believe, God, you are sovereign. And there's not a detail in my life that is out of your control. And when we do that, we'll walk away with a closer relationship with Christ than we ever dreamed possible. And I use Glenn for an example again. This man has a whole new perspective on life. And I shared with him this last week. His enthusiasm for the lost. My burden for the lost is nowhere near what I believe it should be or could be. I'm praying that God will use Glenn to infect the rest of us with that same burden for the lost. In fact, I'm going to use another station. When he pulled up last week, the side of his car was messed up. And so I said, trying to redesign your car? Well, you know, accidents happen. We have them all. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't care. Compared to eternity was coming, it really doesn't matter. I don't care. But how many of us would have got upset because we had a big scratch all the way down the side? You know, I bought a new truck. I didn't have it two weeks. Somebody pushed me off in the barbed wire fence. All the way down the side of my truck. I was a little perturbed. (laughs) But you know what I stopped thinking about it? It's just a truck. Who cares? I'm not taking it with me. It's not going to run any better. It's not going to last any longer. It's just not pretty. Well, maybe it's a different design. (laughs) 
you know, I tried to save some money, get it repainted. Other needs came up. I put it there. Big deal. It gets me from point A to point B. That's all that matters. I really don't care. Compared to attorney, am I going to get the head and say, boy, I wish I painted that truck now? <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's what we do, isn't it? It really doesn't matter. It's his truck. Did he know I was going to go into the bar? He knew before I bought it was going to happen. He said, I got to teach John a lesson. Where are your priorities? Where are our priorities? Where is our focus? Is it on him? <clears throat> Folks, I remind you again in our suffering, God is totally sovereign. Things will develop that we don't completely understand and we don't have to. But our God is too wise to make a mistake. And he loves us too much to hurt us for no good reason. He knows exactly what he's doing. And when we hurt, we got to fall on our knees and say, God, may I not lose sight of who you are. And may I endure and persevere through your suffering for your glory. Our Father God, oh, how I appreciate your sovereignty. Your suffering is for the good. And we want to be so self-centered sometimes that we just want to argue with you why it's there. Help us, Father, to fall on our knees before you as Job did and worship you even to our suffering. For, Father, we believe that your plan is perfect. We believe that you're too smart to make mistakes. You're too holy to make mistakes. And you love us too much to deliberately just want to be mean. That's not the God that I love. That's not the God that loves me. Help us, Father. There are suffering days coming ahead. Father, we, we don't know what you hold for this nation. But, other, Father, I fear there's great suffering coming in this nation because of our sinfulness. We look at the world that is suffering a great deal today all over this globe because of sin. The consequences of it. You want individuals to wake up and say, why is this misery here? It's because of sin. And may they turn our hearts towards God. And I have no doubt that in the suffering that takes place everywhere across, across this globe, there are individuals that are falling on their knees and calling out to God for help. That if they weren't going through that suffering, they would have never found you. And so, Father, thank you. Help us to never forget these things and learn these things because we know it will develop a much more intimate relationship with you. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.